Hey guys, this is Bill D'Alessandro, one of the co-hosts of Acquisitions Anonymous. I'm really excited to introduce this week's episode because it's another one of our uh, Two Idiots, Two Deals episodes, aka me and Michael, uh, two deals, just kind of going through and riffing. The ones we did this week were really, really interesting. It was a, a fireworks store in rural Oklahoma and a ski rental shop in rural Colorado. So the cool thing about both these businesses is they both make great money in only a fraction of the year. The fireworks store is only open for six weeks. The uh, ski shop is only open for six months. Um, and they're both reasonably priced. And they've got, uh, they're just really, really interesting business dynamics uh, in kind of small resort towns, limited upside, but also really nice lifestyle businesses. So I think you'll enjoy us breaking down kind of the pros, the cons, and the risks of both of these businesses. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Michael here. Today's sponsor is Guardian Due Diligence, uh, and that is run by our friend Elliot, who was on our episode number 88. Uh, and what Guardian Due Diligence does is provide the diligence solution for first-time buyers and self-funded searchers, so people that are buying businesses. Um, and, you know, they believe that diligence is critical. We believe the same thing as you're digging into a business. Um, and he thinks that you should be able to acquire a business with comfort, that the numbers are solid and the seller is not fooling you and your lenders and equity partners, they want to know the same thing too. Um, so that's where Guardian comes in. You can get good financial diligence and providing you comfort that you're not buying a bad business and risking your entire net worth on a personal guarantee. So um, Guardian's quality of earnings reports will give you that confidence and belief in, in what you're doing and, and peace of mind. So. Um, you know, they offer free reviews of LOIs and company valuations, and you can find out more from Elliot at offerfromelliot.com and uh, mention that uh, Elliot's been on podcast number 88 and that you heard him there and uh, tell him we sent you. And you can reach him at eholland at guardiandudiligence.com. And again, also at offerfromelliot.com is how you can get in touch with him. Um, now back to the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Acquisition Anonymous. This is another one of our deal episodes with just me, Bill D'Alessandro, and my co-host Michael Girdley. Mills is out this week, so it's just uh, us two bozos, two bozos, two deals this week uh, on Acquisitions Anonymous. Um, so we got we got some cool ones that are both kind of holiday, vacation, uh, traditional type businesses, uh, and they're in spaces both of us actually have some experience in. Um, so we have a uh, a ski shop in southwestern Colorado, and then we have a fireworks stand, uh, which Michael is going to chime in on, uh, will be deal number two. Um, but first, I will throw it over to Michael to start talking about the ski shop, which will be deal number one. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm actually in Vermont right now in a parking lot recording this. So like, this is perfect. Uh, we wanted to find a ski deal. And the other thing I love about these episodes, Bill, like when we're putting them together beforehand, is just like, because there's no guests, we're just like, okay, come up with the craziest, most fun deal you can, and then let's go. So it's super fun. Um, cool. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, it is from our friends at Biz Buy Sell. They're, they're friends, but they're not as good of friends they could be. We still want you guys to sponsor the pod, guys. Uh, but that's, that's hint, hint, Biz Buy Sell. We'll keep doing deals for you until you do. Uh, but this one is listed on Biz Buy Sell. It is a seasonal, seasonal ski and snowboard rental repair and sale shop in Southwest Colorado. Uh, me having just come from 105 degrees in Texas, I am totally ready to start skiing. Uh, and so this is perfect. Uh, the ski shop is down in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And we looked that up, Bill. It's out kind of Southwest Colorado down by Durango. Is that right? Yep. This is, this is as you said, Michael, San Juan Mountains, Southwest Colorado. San Juan Mountains. 
Perfect. So down Southwest Colorado, pretty, pretty part of the area, a little challenging to get to as a Texan, I will tell you, like you have to maybe fly to Montrose and then drive like five hours to get to this place. As anybody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, actually, most of my friends who go to Southwest Colorado, you know, they go to Crested Butte and stuff like that. Durango, they all drive. They all just do like the 12 hour drive because they're stupid Texans. It's, it's really fascinating. OK, so the uh, the picture here says ski rental shop for sale. It is asking price of seven hundred fifty thousand dollars with cash flow of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that's about three times uh, three times cash flow, according to the asking price. They do about a half million a year in revenue. So they do a half million a year in revenue, and then they do cash flow of two hundred and fifty thousand. So about fifty percent net margins from this. Oh my god, <laughs> this is awesome! Um, so then the inventory they have on hand is two hundred and three thousand, uh, and then furniture, fixtures, and equipment is forty eight thousand. Established in nineteen eighty nine. Bill, were you going to say something? Well, I think it's just interesting to me that they've got fifty percent margins, and they're a retailer. I mean, that's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, we'll come back to that for sure. I thought you only got those if you were selling drugs. <laughs> These guys are killing it. Um, so business description, it's a seasonal full-service ski shop offering clothing, equipment, and accessories for downhill ski, cross-country ski, and snowboard. In addition to downhill ski and yada, yada, they do snowboard rentals and tuning as well as repair service for all equipment. The business was founded in 1989 in Southwest Colorado near one of the state's premier ski resorts, and the business is open seasonally, typically depending November until April, and operates from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. seven days a week with six employees and one full-time owner working out of a 4,000-square-foot facility. Uh, so located in Pocosa Springs, Colorado, they lease their real estate, 4,000-square-foot building, six people, um, and the building has been built since 2005 in good condition, and then they have some other stuff that make the facility easy to do, uh, good access, good visibility, and is operated seasonally, as they said before. Um, so that is what we know about this one. So it's a ski rental shop out kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, Bill, I think you have some history with this. What do you think? Yeah, so this let's just take note here. Not only is it 50% margins and $250,000 a year of cash flow, your year is only six months long. So this is a this is half the year you put up 250k and then you take the summer off uh, completely, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so my experience in this industry comes from selling into it. So at my business Elements Brands, we owned a, a ski sunscreen brand called Ski Bomb, um, which I founded when I lived out in Colorado. Um, we sold into hundreds, if not thousands, of stores exactly like this, kind of all over the country. Um, and this, the dynamic of this industry is super fascinating because all of it, there's basically two types of retailers. There is, are you in the, like one of the Vail resorts towns, which is way more than you would think, you know, Vail, Breckenridge, Beaver Creek, but tons more. They own a ton in the Northeastern United States, like a lot of resorts are Vail, basically anything on an Epic pass. And if you're in a Vail resort town, those towns are basically Disney world. Vail owns almost all the resorts. Most of the shops, even if it says Girdley Ski Shop, is actually owned by Vail. They've been buying up kind of all of them over time. So when you go like through Vail Village, half of those seemingly independent businesses are owned by Vail Resorts and they're continuing buying them up. They have a subsidiary that used to be called VRR, Vail Resorts Retail. Uh, it is now called something else. Uh, they changed the name. But the point is that most of these are operated by Vail. So there are very few independent ones in those towns. 
And if Vale has not already bought the one that you're looking at, you should really want to know why. Uh, and then you should also really understand uh, whatever kind of lease and whether your landlord is Vale Resorts and whether they're going to shoot you in the head at the end of your lease. Really interesting. So do we think this one, I mean, I guess, so location, this is all going to come down to location in the end. Is that kind of how you think about a rental business like this? You want to be on the right road and have kind of the right niche of kind of drive up traffic that you're looking for? I think so. So this one is in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, which to my knowledge is not Vail. So to my knowledge, it's probably an independently owned ski resort in a small town, um, which, which I think in some ways makes this more attractive, right? Because it, and it's been around since 1989. Um, in some ways, I mean, global warming aside here, as long as Pagosa Springs continues to have snow, uh, in some ways you kind of have a built-in clientele. Assuming you got a good location, it's like near the mountain. I mean, there's tons of history here. Your main risks would be like your classic retail risks, like uh, does based on your, are you the closest one to the slopes? And then someone else opens one closer to the slopes and cuts your business in half or something. Um, those are like a big risk, but I, I kind of like it because as long as people are, you know, our friend Brent Bishore says, as long as people dip their bodies in water for fun, school uh, pool businesses will continue to exist. It's kind of the same thing here. Like as long as people like to slide down snowy hills for fun, you know, they're going to need to rent skis. Um, and so if you are positioned well and you've got a good cost structure and you've got a good lease, this is not bad. I mean, it's a decent lifestyle business. If you have a good lease, the lease here is everything the location and the ownership on the property. Yeah. Cause potentially you're in a situation here where the landlord and I, I guess Trent Griffin on Twitter talks about wholesale transfer pricing. And there's this idea the real estate guys talk about, which is eventually all the value in the chain of commerce gets captured by the real estate guys, you know, all are in part because they just keep raising rent until people can't afford it anymore. So that really comes down to, I think the first thing we'd want to look at it at, at in this deal you know, what is your relationship and that lease look like in terms of how long you know you're going to be there? Because if you're out in 18 months, that could really be the entire enterprise value here. Just go up and smoke. So, Michael, I have great news for you. Buried at the bottom of the biz by sell listing, it says the real estate is owned by the seller who has indicated a willingness to enter into a lease agreement with buyer at $3,000 per month, which feels quite reasonable, $36,000 a year to lease the most important asset to your business. Um, so I think you as the buyer here shouldn't realize that you have a ton of leverage and you should negotiate a, a almost perpetual lease, right? Perpetual, transferable. The thing you also got to be careful about is what if this guy sells the real estate and all of a sudden it's under market and the new owner wants to get you out and your business is toast. Um, so if it were me, I'm either trying to find a way to buy the real estate as part of this transaction or negotiating some incredibly tenant generous infinite lease if possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would be really curious how above or below market $3,000 a month is, you know, that to me that just for commercial out in the ski area, it just seems incredibly low. And I know this isn't, this isn't Vail or Beaver Creek, right? Um, this is because of Springs, but yeah, very, very curious about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that comes to mind, this is another one of those situations where you probably have a business that was started by somebody 20 years ago that's worth X. And, you know, they built that business thinking that business was going to be their their ticket to retirement. And it turns out the building that they bought 
to house that business in is probably worth four or five X what that business is worth. You know, we've seen that with the, the plumber guys kind of in, in Savannah. And now these guys were just like, you know, if you're using your business to buy the real estate that's housing your business, you get a double whammy of being able to protect your future cash flows like this guy did by owning the land. And secondarily, like it's just an amazing savings vehicle to totally take care of you. But you also get some really nice tax treatment in the interim as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're deducting all that depreciation, all that kind of stuff. So what what don't we like about this deal? Potentially the risks here are, you talked about global warming. There's a situation where you have to worry about more competitors coming in and maybe setting up shop next to you and having the business. What other Are there any other things we have to worry about? Is there supplier risk here? Do we have to worry about the suppliers cutting you out? I don't think any of that is there. Just global warming and kind of the increased competition are probably the two big things to think about. Uh- well, there's there's another one, which is, for one, that it's this business is never going to get any bigger. Like, this is exactly as big as this business is, right? I mean, it's been around since 1989. So many people come through Pagosa Springs skiing. Some fraction of them need to rent skis. Some fraction of them buy sunscreen. Like, you know, the, the math model on this business is baked, right? And it, the only input is velocity of skiers coming through Pagosa Springs. Right. So if you you will be very leveraged to the number of skiers coming through Pagosa Springs. But if you feel like that is constant, that also means there's not much downside either. Um, So I think you would need to I think it'd be very hard to buy this business with any kind of growth thesis. Right. I mean, you're just going to this is an annuity. Um, And then the other downside is you got to work there because at the bottom end, it says uh, six employees and one full time working owner. Yeah. When I think I think there's another risk that I when I heard you talking, I just thought of this and it's going to come up in our fireworks business discussion next, which is I think there's a definite trap where you go into a business like this and you say, I love skiing. And basically, like I do personally, like I love skiing. It's one of my favorite activities. And you end up buying a business like this because you think it would be the most fun thing ever to spend all day talking about skis, hanging out with skiers, renting them skis. But then when you look up with it, the last thing you want to do, you're like a chef, right? Like chefs routinely just like scoop peanut butter out of the jar at home instead of making themselves fancy meals. Like they're the worst eaters. And I think it's the same thing here. Like the last thing you're going to want to do at the end of the day after a bunch of dealing with people's shoe bindings and how angry they are about their skis is want to ski some more. So I would actually discourage people who look into this or a fireworks business saying, you know, I really love skiing and I want to do skiing and I want to talk skiing all day. It's just the worst way to probably get closer to your hobby. So I actually think there's a big trap here that I would encourage people to be scared about. Yeah. This feels like lifestyle business, but very soon, in a couple of years, you may hate skiing and be married <laughs> to this business. Um, <laughs> Right. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I mean, you may, you may, here's the other thing too, by the way, like you got to live in Pagosa Springs. I've never been there. I'm sure it's beautiful, but I'm also sure there's not going on there. Right. Especially (laughs) in the summer, you know, when your store is closed and the mountains close, like, you know what I mean? Like, so you got to be really sure this is the lifestyle you want. Now, if you're going to retire there and you think it'd be fun to putter around behind the counter and talk about skiing with tourists and stuff, like maybe this is amazing for you. Like it's a great retirement gig to keep you young in your retirement for only $750,000 and you cash flow 250K and you live in Pagosa Springs and life is good. Buy your business fit, Michael, as I always say. <laughs> What's well, interesting, I had I had a buddy, he's probably 15 years older than me. They're in their early 60s and they had a vacation home at altitude up here by Durango. 
and they had to sell it because uh, the gentleman's wife couldn't take the altitude anymore. Um, so there's some risk, you know, there's some risk here that you get out there and you're like, uh, I don't know, but that's probably in the end why this business is selling for a relatively low multiple, like just the universe of potential buyers is pretty low. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine they're able to widely market this to tons of potential buyers. Yeah. I mean, th this is like your classic, this business trades at three X because it should, you know, you find the right buyer. It's probably fairly priced at three X. And if everything goes good, somebody like this is a win-win transaction probably for the seller and the buyer. If everything goes good and you're the right buyer. All right. Well, it's not for me, but I'll go ski there. I'll be a customer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's fun. I mean, it's you indulge your ski bomb fantasies by this business, um, you know, and live in Pagosa Springs. Not terrible. I think it's cool. Uh, niche retail, you know, work six months a year, move to a real city, you know, like enjoy some urban life in the summer and then winter in Pagosa Springs. Not bad. I think this also just shows how good the economics of rental businesses can be because there's no way they're getting 50% net profit margins from, um, from selling gear. Like that's just not happening. Uh, but I guarantee, and maybe there's some pieces of that. You're selling lip balm and you know, random gloves to people who, you know, need them at the last minute. But like I've seen when these guys are renting skis and I have never dug into the economics, but I could do the math, right? It's a $600 pair of skis and they're renting them to me for 400 bucks for two weeks. Like the math adds up really pretty good uh, in terms of your ability to be super profitable on these ski rentals. Um, so you got to love that, that, that kind of Sell, sell small time slices to make a lot of money. Like I love that aspect of it. One thing that's interesting about this is when I lived in Colorado, I was a customer of many ski rental shops. Um, and I learned that they actually, every like two or three years, they replace all the skis. Some of the busy ones, they replace, they just get rid of them all. Um, and I think that's because they kind of want to have, it's kind of like a rental car fleet. Like you're, you want your rental cars to be like newish. The rental car companies kind of want to show off their cars. The ski companies have like whole buying programs for rental stores because it's sort of like a paid for demo, right? Um, so the, as I understand it, skis are like fully paid off, like with like half a year of rentals. And then however long you keep them is all gravy. And then you replace them with a good financing deal from the, the ski companies. It's insane. So uh, maybe, you know, I have never figured out what they do with the skis at the end of the season. Like, I don't see them running sales on them. Do they just throw them away? Or are they just, are they just so beat up that they're done? Or, or what do they do with them? So that's, that's the weird part. So when I lived in Denver, uh, this is a small confession, confession to make. Um, they have this uh, season-long rental program where you can rent them. Like, you can rent them for like two weeks for like $200. Or you can rent them for like a whole season for like $300. Uh, it's just like the amusement park, park pricing, you know, it's like a hundred dollars to go once or 150 for the season pass. Cause they just want you to come back twice basically. Um, so I lived in Denver, so I'd rent them for the whole year. Um, and actually how I found all of this out was I forgot to give them back at the end of the year. And I discovered them in my storage unit, like two years later or like a year later or something. I was like, Ooh, like <laughs> these are not like I should have given them like these back. So I took them back to the store and was like, sorry, here's my skis. And they were like, yeah, you just keep them. They're like, we don't even have those anymore. Like we've moved, like we don't even rent those. Like, and the crazy thing was they hadn't noticed by the way, uh, which means, <laughs> which means they had just moved out all those, all the, that model of ski and they must've either sold them or trashed them or something, but they did not sell them one by one. 
they must have sold them in mass. I don't know, maybe to a lower end rental company or something. Crazy. All right. Well, with that, with that, with that soul wrenching admission by you, maybe we'll move on to the next deal. This is why we can't have nice things, Bill. I know. I know. This is this is why if you rent anything to anyone, you should assume that it will be ruined or never returned to you. Um, and that's why, by the way, all renting businesses are priced that way. We're not talking about real estate. We're talking about like asset rental businesses are always priced that way, um, that, that the assets are disposable. Um, okay. So this next one is super cool because we have our resident fireworks expert, Michael Girdley, on the podcast today. And this is a fireworks business, um, which is really cool. It's in Stevens County, Oklahoma. Um, so it is there. It does $285,000 of revenue, $83,000 of cash flow, and it says it is only open for six weeks a year. So work six weeks, make $83,000 of cash flow. This doesn't sound so bad. Uh, with $5,000 of FF&E, which I'm pretty sure is like a folding table and some signs. <laughs> Although they say they have four employees. So it says... The, this wholesale and retail fireworks business is open for just six weeks a year. This amazing business splits its revenue between consumer sales and a large indoor air-conditioned retail space and supplying independent seasonal retail stands. Perfect for the absentee owner, this property even has a residential apartment built, built in. So I don't understand how this is perfect for an absentee owner, but also has a place for you to live if you own the business. That is like the definition of not absentee owner. <laughs> you live in, in the business. Uh, but it's perfect if you don't want to live in the apartment, I guess. Uh, the deal comes with a complete business plan to at least double sales and profits in the first year of your new operation. Um, it says they've been in the same location for 20 years, the last nine under current ownership. So it must have transacted once before. Uh, the longtime employees who have largely run the six-week operation are motivated to stay. I don't really know what that means because what did they do in the other 46 weeks of the year? I don't know if that counts as staying. Um it says it's the only wholesale fireworks operation within 50 miles and the only indoor retail location within 50 miles. Huge opportunity to grow the wholesale operation. It's limitless growth opportunities. Uh, most independent stands in the state drive to Missouri to get their inventory because they don't know that they can buy wholesale in Oklahoma. Um, it says here's, here's where the story gets interesting on growth. Since the business only operates from June 1st to July 15th, the entire calendar is open for exploitation. <laughs> Many fireworks are sold the last two weeks of December for New Year's. Wedding and event fireworks. Convert the retail space to a Halloween store in October. Convert the store to a Christmas holiday store in November, December. Uh, the owner wants to put a golf simulation franchise inside of the retail store and set up for the summer. Uh, and the, the opportunities are limitless. Um, so I, I get the sense, I mean, I know, Michael, from talking to you, this is a very specialized business. Like, there are some really unique things about the fireworks business. What is your take on this fireworks business for sale? Yeah, super interesting. Um, I was trying to figure out where the hell Stevens County, Oklahoma is. It, it turns out it is like two-thirds of the way from Oklahoma City to Wichita Falls, Texas. So that is basically, you go to the middle of nowhere, you take another left, and you take two lefts and drive 50 miles, and you end up there. Um, and it's near Lawton, which I think is where Oklahoma State is, if I'm not mistaken. There's one of the big universities is there. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's interesting to think about with this business. And my first initial reaction is that it's important to understand in the fireworks business, wholesale and retail are really two different beasts entirely. 
Wholesale is where you are selling to third-party people who are running their own retail operations and selling to the public. And in Oklahoma, you you basically have two different types of sales functions. You have indoor stores where people are like walking in supermarket style. And then the second type you have are these tents where people put up tents and you like go up and there's tables there and stuff like that. We don't have those in Texas because we don't want them. They suck because tents blow over in high wind. Um, but that's that's what he's got here and the seller has is really a two-pronged operation. One is this retail operation and the second is the wholesale. So the first thing I would dig in here is to understand that wholesale is actually a really terrible business to be in. To be in. You're, you're, it's very low margin and the customers are incredibly fickle because you're selling to these people who will frankly drive, it's worth it for them to drive two hours to Missouri to save 3% over you, right? Because that all drops straight to their bottom line. So I put in, in looking at this business, I would put actually very little value on the wholesale, uh, even though it bumps up the gross of this business um, significantly. The interesting part of the business, much more interesting is the retail part of the business. And that's where, to me, the business can be sold and the products are sold at much higher margin uh, and are much more interesting. So I would be first curious how much of this business that they have of the 285000 annual revenue is wholesale versus retail. Uh, and my guess is, is that the wholesale is probably most of it because it's very low margin, bloodbath, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the retail is where they're making the majority of their profits. Interesting. So so that would be the first thing you would have. I would totally look at that. So the first thing you would say is break it up into two. Yeah. Yeah. Are we, we're lagging a little bit here, I think. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, tell me how much is wholesale and tell me how much is retail. Uh, that's be where I would start first. Okay. So Michael, so he's asking, so he thinks he makes $83,000 a year in six weeks, which is not bad. And he's super psyched for all of this other Halloween store, Christmas store, all that stuff. I know you have a lot of experience owning fireworks businesses. Do you guys mess around with all that stuff? Or like, do you sell fireworks all year long? Like, what is the real opportunity here? Or is, is the juice just not worth the squeeze on other stuff? Uh, it is very rare that you can find a, a property that in Texas or Oklahoma is very good for fireworks and also very good for those other businesses. Um, you know, I know of the kind of like several thousand, I think there's 5,000 retail locations in Texas. I think of, as far as I know, there are four of them that actually succeed at selling Halloween as well. Um, it's just not, not really practical. Um, you end up being out in the middle of nowhere in the case of most of Texas or Oklahoma. Like it's just, you're, you're, you're winning by losing by getting to those businesses. So most of the stuff he really lists here is other opportunities. Uh, if they were real, given how easy these are to put together, I think he would have already done these. Uh, I give basically 0.1% chance you could actually do some of these other growth opportunities they want to do. Uh, it is just so rare that you have a fireworks location, which is so geographically de dependent, and you're able to take that and turn it into something that is not fireworks. And is that is that because like the ideal fireworks location, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, code and regulatory, like you can't put it next to a nursery in a strip mall or something, right? It's, it's chemical, it's explosive, like all that stuff. So they probably tend to be, at least in my experience, a firework store, freestanding, like more like on the side of the highway. But your Halloween store, your Christmas store, you want to be like in a strip mall with foot traffic. Is that like the core problem? 
Yeah, totally. Um, there's also, you know, it gets even more complex in some other states. Like in Texas, for example, uh, they are actually, uh, there's a, the most recent interpretation makes it very difficult to switch your uses during the year from fireworks to other stuff uh, during the year. So you actually have to go through all these like permitting things four times a year to switch back and forth from different use cases. So in many cases, uh, depending upon the local fire marshal, it's not worth it. Um, you know, and, it, and, and the local regulations are hugely varied. So you may have, for example, a municipality in Oklahoma or part of Texas that allows uh, fireworks, but only to be sold in heavy industrial parts of town. Uh, or it might be that you have to be right outside the city limits. In the case of Texas, most of Texas, you have to be outside the cities. The cities preclude you from both possessing, shooting, and selling fireworks inside their city limits by and large. So there's just like, there's, there's just no places where you would actually want to put firework sales as opposed to just paying a bit more and going next to the Gulf Galaxy or down in the strip center. You know, it's just not worth it for you to be seven miles out of town. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Um, this guy may not have that problem. He could be an unincorporated Oklahoma. Uh, but my guess is with that comes another problem. He's out in the middle of nowhere, unincorporated Oklahoma. There's not that many people that are going to show up and spend a bunch of money at your Halloween store. Um, let's say he just did as much revenue at Halloween as he does with fireworks. That is a subscale Halloween store. You're not going to make money selling $350,000 worth of Halloween for two months and then cover all your expenses and have some cash left over. It's just not going to work. Um, so, yeah, that's just a it's a pipe dream. <laughs> it's a total pipe dream. Yeah, well... I recall that earlier on the pod, Michael, we did uh, a couple Halloween or costumes businesses. Uh, we will try to find those episodes and link them in the show notes. Um, but I seem to remember when we did that, we decided that the Halloween business was also a terrible business because of, you know, all the inventory. I mean, have you guys ever been in like a Halloween store on like October 30th? There's just like stuff strewn everywhere. Like the employees are disheveled. Everything is 50% off you know, it, it's terrible. And then it's like the net by November 1st, you've got all these costumes that were like fad costumes from that year that won't, people won't want to dress up as, I don't know, Hillary Clinton or something next year. Um, and so you've got, it's just like a horrible inventory based business where you've got to like scale up your inventory and it all goes bad instantly on the same day. Uh, like the, the Halloween business is not a good business. So like you're already in, at least I guess your fireworks keep, but like you're already in this like scale up a whole bunch of working capital, blow it all out the door in six weeks and then like wind down and lick your wounds. You're already in that business of fireworks. Like, do you really want to like get into the Halloween business and the Christmas business? Like it feels like I want to shoot myself. Uh, I would shoot yourself. <laughs> so being in, the, for, for in that situation. I mean, <laughs> you would shoot me. Business, you would put me out of my misery. <laughs> not in general. Not like old yeller. I mean, like just if you do anyway, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, the fireworks business, he's got a great little business here. And and I think that's that leads to kind of the second point I want to make about retail is retail in fireworks is just like normal retail. It's all about location, location, location. Um, and really what, what gets interesting is a twist on the fireworks business is understanding how vulnerable you are from somebody coming in next to you and selling a commodity product. Um, because ultimately, like the little secret of the fireworks business is there's only several dozen types of fireworks that are made through several dozen types of factories. We're all selling the same stuff, just with different labels. And this guy, you run a real risk that somebody could come along right next to you and you're both selling at 70% gross margin. 
and the guy comes in next to you and decides to sell it for 50% gross margin. And suddenly you've got a problem on your hands and you're both losing as opposed to winning. So that's the second thing I would really dig into what he has is to understand how much defensiveness he has in that retail location like how vulnerable is he to somebody or somebody's coming along setting up right next to him putting a bigger sign or a bigger building next to him and your revenue cuts in half like i've definitely seen it happen it's totally possible so you have to understand what sort of defense you have against just another commodity vendor coming in right next to you and trying to capture your margin yeah yeah kind of skip but so okay michael but you're in the fireworks business are you just telling everybody it's terrible and no one should come into the fireworks business and compete with you? Like, what is good about this? Like, why? Like, why this guy is putting eighty three thousand dollars a year in his pocket for six weeks of work, right? Like, is this horrible in every dimension? No, I mean, I think so. The inverse of what I just talked about is if you have a very defensible spot or you have a good location and you have that locked up, which is pretty easy to do in the fireworks business, um, or you have a brand that you've built, like we've built, like we have a pretty strong following around our Alamo brand in Texas and other places, like those start to be pretty substantial moats to where you have the ability to depend on new revenue coming in from people you know, year after year because they want to come back to your particular place and know your people and know your spot and they're comfortable with it and they know the deal they got. Um, so if you if you can start to build those moats, that becomes very attractive. And then you can also get to where we are as a business, which is we have 200 locations or so, and we have economies of scale that a guy like this doesn't have. Um, you know, we're not going to operate at the same kind of net profit margin he has. But like once you start to get to scale, things get really pretty interesting with a business like this. So um, there are moats here that just like any other business, you can build out a pretty defensible place. And, you know, there's some national chains that have built 5000 plus locations, Phantom, TNT and stuff like that. Uh, and then there's mid-sized guys like us who've carved out really nice lives, just building a pretty defensible business around kind of those things I just talked about. So, again, it comes down to location, location. All right, cool. Uh, well, let's wrap it up. Um, that that puts the cap, puts a bow on another episode of Acquisition Anonymous. This is a fun one to local businesses with some very interesting seasonal dynamics. Uh, thanks, Michael, for, for the, t- the inside takes on the fireworks business. Uh, and we will see you guys next week.